0: inductive Bible study. That's what you guys just did. It's beautiful. No commentaries, just inducting, going inside of it. It's awesome. And this story is kind of a weird story, but it's one of the, I think, one of the best stories. I think in Mark, I think I love Mark's version probably the most. No surprise there. But in order to kind of get this story at its fullest, you really do have to go back about two days, three days, to the crucifixion of Jesus, which is odd that we're it's not Easter's past, but this story is so consequential. This story of Jesus' death is so consequential to human history. And so Jesus, just, just put yourself there, a kind of un- Golgotha, and Jesus has already been kind of strung up. He's already on the cross. He's gone through his trial, and he's, and he's there, dying, bleeding, beaten to a bloody, unrecognizable pulp. That's how the gospel writers... Uh, I think particularly Luke, described this crucifixion scene. Now, the Romans knew how to kill people really, really well. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Romans knew how to do this. They were, they're they're expeditiously great at killing people. But a crucifixion was supposed to be long and drawn out. It's supposed to be like a shame tactic as much as it was a death. as an execution. That's why they're up high. That's so everybody can see that you can see these petty criminals. This is what happens when you defy Rome. This is what happens when you, when you break the law. But there was kind of, a, kind of a problem is that they, they beat Jesus so badly, he was, the life was draining out of him very, very, very quickly. That what crucifixion could take a couple days, Jesus was, on his, he was dying within hours. And after those, kind of those six hours pass, from the time that his crucifixion starts to kind of creeping into the afternoon, it becomes obvious that Jesus is not going to make it very much longer. And if you just pause that scene... And you look around that scene and you can see the people around him because he wasn't alone. There are two, two criminals beside him. And this is a pretty big deal. Just a week before, he had this big giant parade of people kind of praising him, as, welcoming him as the king of, Dru- as the king of Israel. Where, where are they all? And if you pause and you just look around, who's there with him? Where are are his disciples. Where are the men? They're gone. They're vanished. They're not there. Just weeks before, uh, two of them, I think, it's James and John, I don't even remember exactly, they, they want to sit at the right hand and the left hand of of, of Christ on the throne. They asked to be left and right to Jesus. Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. Where's their strength now? Where's their valor and their courage now? Well, it's easy to, to kind of come along Jesus when you think he's gonna be on the throne, but now he's a dying criminal. Where are where are they? They're, they're not there, they're gone. Like a fog in morning, they have vanished. Except off in the distance, there's some women. Each gospel says this. There's women looking on. The women can stay, they can fight through their tears. They love Jesus just as much, and they're watching Jesus die. And they're feeling it, and they know it. And as Jesus kind of cries out, and you can read this in, in, in whatever gospel you want. And Jesus cries out his last breath, and he cries out to the Father, and he says, you've abandoned me. Where are you, God? And he breathes his last, and he dies. It struck me as I read this this week. Who's going to take down his body? His friends are gone. His closest followers have abandoned him. What's going to happen to his body? Now, I know, I know this story. I've grown up with this story. I know how it ends. But I was really grateful to have this, this experience reading through this week that it just struck me. I felt panicked. Our Lord and Savior's body is going where? What would the Romans do? Who's going to claim that body? Who's going to take him down? Where are they going to take him? Do you think the Romans centurion and the Romans are gonna like carefully wrap him up and preserve him and treat him with respect? Not likely. Some depictions of this scene is that there's just Romans just heaps of bodies. You're crucified, you're thrown onto the heap. Would Jesus be thrown onto the heap? Where are you, Peter? You don't have the courage to, to take your own master down? No, he's he's gone, he's scared. One guy, Joseph of Arimathea, comes into the scene kind of out of nowhere. He's a religious leader. He's, he's wealthy. He's got, he's got status. He's got an awful lot to risk on the line. He asked for Jesus' body and the women. The women who had watched Jesus die are the women who are courageous enough to, to, to fight through their tears and take down Jesus' body and begin to bury him. Because there's a problem. By by the time Jesus dies, it's three o'clock on Friday. Which means at sundown it's Sabbath. Which means once Sabbath hits, once that sun hits the horizon line and it's and it begins to get dark, you cannot work. You can't do anything unless you break, you want to break the law. They have to hurry. They have to hustle to get this body off the cross and begin to prepare it for burial. And so this isn't a relaxed exercise. They're not taking their time. They are rapidly trying to prepare this mangled mess of a man that they loved. I'm sure fighting through the sobs of tears and those that lump in their throat and they're pushing through and in this space to care for Jesus' body after he's dead. Where's Philip and Andrew and James and Bartholomew and Thaddeus? gone. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be bothered. Couldn't bring themselves to care for their, for their rabbi in this time. Well, that's a woman's job. Maybe. But they're not even there to help physically move Jesus off the cross. It's an old guy. that They don't really know who takes responsibility. And he, he goes off to Pilate and he's haggling and trying to barter with Pilate to make sure that, that he, can, he has a place for Jesus to go. He's got a tomb for Jesus to rest in. That he will take care of the body. But yes, there's a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of, fan, there's a lot of fanfare in this city. Now the disciples had Caiaphas and the high priest really known the state of the disciples' mind. They may have thought differently. But they thought there's a chance that these disciples are going to come back and take Jesus' body and claim that he's been resurrected. Little did, did the high priest know that actually they're just terrified, locked away in a room somewhere. They have no courage to do anything of the sort. And so Pilate says, okay, we're gonna put put guards on this tomb so that nobody can take this body. We're gonna put Roman guards, guard up this tomb, we're gonna roll up that stone so that nobody can snatch this body because Sabbath is coming. And I can imagine this scene not kind of like a a pastel-y, kind of slow motion kind of scene. I imagine them really hustling Jesus' body into this tomb and that stone is rolled up right before the sun sets, right before Sabbath starts, and they have to stop working. Then, the impact of this this moment must have landed like a heavy, heavy weight on these women. That in a short 24 hours, their Lord and Savior, their master, their rabbi, their friend, their beloved leader, was brutally beaten, brutally put to death, taken down on the cross, and stuffed into a tomb. And they couldn't even finish the burial process. That whole 24 hours of Sabbath, what would that day have been like? As they just sat with their feelings. How could they look across the table to the other disciples without feeling like, where were you? but they're not even thinking that because the moment that that Sabbath is over and the sundown of the next day, they're out to the market. They're getting spices. They're getting prepared to finish the entombing process because in those days, you, you would have absolutely prepared the body. You would have adorned it with spices because it would have sat in the tomb until the flesh decomposed, and then a year or some later, you'd have come back and collected The bones of that of that of the person deceased and put them into an ossuary or a little a little box and that's where they would have been preserved but the tomb would have been shared with other people so you don't want to come into a tomb full of dead corpses and all the smell so you spice the body so sun up the next morning the women are like running towards the tomb and they absolutely are wondering, which I love about Mark, who's gonna roll away the stone? Now I read in a comment this is so great, because I, I've read this so many times, it's like, well, of, of course, they're you know, Mary, mother of Jesus, she's probably frail and old, she doesn't have the strength to roll over a big giant tomb, it makes sense. No, I think Mark is implying, where are the disciples to roll away the stone? They weren't coming with the men who had this strength, these strong, brute fishermen to roll away the stone. They're going to meet the Roman guards. They're assuming they're going to have to like fight their way in to even finish this process. Who knows what they're going to be met with when they're met by these Roman guards. And they're thinking, who's going to roll away the stone for us because none of the men have come. The strong men didn't have the courage to come and roll away the stone for us. And here is where you all picked up the reading. Where are the disciples? They're not there. Who shows up? The women. The women. Each gospel names a couple. I think Luke says there's many women at the graveside, and there's, think, three. I can't remember. Don't quote me. Some quote Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Salome. You can infer that... That there's more than one, there's two to four to who knows how many women have come to the tomb to finish off the entombing process for Jesus to, because they want to treat him well. Where's the funeral for Jesus? Where's the send-off for Jesus? This is not how a Jewish funeral was supposed to go. Rushed and hurried and thrown away. Where, where's his family and his friends to, to send him off? They're not there except for the women. The most consequential, pivotal, hinge point of the entire Bible, the entire narrative of the scriptures rests on this story. If you think of the Bible as a, as a scale, this is the peak of the scale that tips the whole narrative forward. The entire kingdom of God rests on this event. The most consequential event in God's story Men are absent. Women are present. Now I, heard, I overheard someone saying that Jesus uh, chooses to speak to the women first and this, this year it kind of dawned on me because I've. it's not that so much Jesus chose to speak to women first. It's that the, the women actually went to Jesus first. But Jesus didn't necessarily choose to speak to women first. They were courageous enough to meet him to be chosen first and I can't I think it's John all these stories are conflating in my head I think it's John where Jesus is in the garden and you see this beautiful depiction of Jesus the new Adam emerging out of the tomb and he meets who in the garden the woman and humanity is reset and we come into a new era of what it means to be a human being because Christ has reset the whole order of the world and is one of the most beautiful stories of all time and has incredible significance on how we are to live presently today. And when when the women come to Jesus, Jesus absolutely sends those women out, the first apostles with the good news of this consequential, in-breaking kingdom. Are women. Women. So today I want to celebrate women. The mothers, the daughters, the grandmothers, the sisters, the friends, the surrogate moms, the surrogate grandmothers, the women in our lives that are so often the ones who have the courage to sit through it certainly in my life my wife, has this courage to sit through difficult feelings and persevere through them. They had the courage to see, to stay, to care. They had the courage to come back against all, to taking all kinds of risks. The, women's were the, the women were the first carriers of the story of Jesus. And so I want to thank the women from then and presently today. So if you are a woman, be encouraged. I know us guys have made a real mess of things for a lot of years, and we continue to do so. And what was really great, what I really loved, uh, I'm going to share, I think it's a really good thing that I did this today, because at youth, we did this, and you know what none of the youth said, none of the kids said, None of them highlighted the women in the story. So I heard several groups highlight the women in the story. None of the kids did. It didn't stand out to them. I thought it was beautiful that they're beginning to live in a world where where the world is is becoming more and more like Jesus. And that may scare some of you because sometimes you look at the world and say, wow, that is not the case at all. Why do we keep telling this story? Because this story continues to reshape the face of the world. That this story actually makes space for new ideas. For good, wholesome, godly, in-breaking kingdom ideas. And we will never, probably ever figure it out properly. But our job is to keep trying, keep doing what you did this morning, going into the scriptures and being, and being liberated through the spirit as you read them. So thank you, women. Give yourselves a pat on the back. And men... Boys, whoever's watching, love your women today because they definitely, absolutely deserve it. So happy Mother's Day. Let's let's pray. Thank you for participating in that uh, uncomfortable exercise. You guys are brilliant. It's great. <coughs> Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that uh, you didn't stay dead on a cross. I heard one group uh, re- reference the idea of someone coming back to life, that this is just totally... Uh, mind-blowing, mind-bending, paradigm-shifting stuff that uh, no one expected, no one saw coming, even though you, you warned them so many times. And this story doesn't make a whole lot of rational sense. It doesn't make a whole lot of scientific sense. But it makes all kinds of kingdom sense. And so, Jesus, I thank you that this, this event that transpired, this thing that happened, has reshaped the face of the world. And Jesus, forgive us for all the ways that we err and that we, we veer off course and that we lose our way and that we're blinded by power and greed and, and, and structures that feel more comfortable to us. Forgive us for the ways that we have, have dropped the ball, that we've, we've forgotten the, the magnitude of this story, the magnitude of your impact in the world. Jesus, help us to see, help us to remember. Jesus, we thank you that uh, you, your spirit, uh, was so alive and present, and we thank you that the, these women went to find you that day, and that you sent them out first and made that uh, really hit home this morning. And we thank you for all the women in our lives, our mums, our grandmas, our our aunts, our nieces, our, our surrogate moms, the mums that uh, want to be moms, the mums that can't be moms, the the women who uh, are moms to other kids, that we can just celebrate this interweaving of generations through through womanhood. And we thank you for all the women in our lives. We pray now that we would have a wonderful afternoon filled with broccoli and steak. In your name we pray. Amen.